We interrupt this broadcast to bring you breaking news. Good evening, Rainsboro. Dennis Dane here at the Action 5 News Live News Desk in high definition. Word is coming in now from the community of Knightsbridge. Calls to 911 report that Partisan is engaged in a high-powered conflict with an as-yet unidentified suspect. Callers have shared that already a great deal of destruction has occurred. Reports of fires and damage to streets and buildings have been received. Emergency responders have been dispatched. Officials encourage citizens to avoid the Knightsbridge area. I'll say that again. Avoid the Knightsbridge area. The Action 5 News Live HD Telechopper is en route. Stay tuned for up-to-the-minute reporting on this breaking news. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Knights of Rainsboro Issue Zero. There are moments that define our generations when we share as a people a defining moment. Our parents asked, where were you when JFK was shot? A later generation would ask, where were you when the towers fell? While reflecting on today's events, three heroes will later ask similar questions. Where were you when Partisan died? But really, that's the easy question. More challenging is what did you do? And more challenging still, what could you have done? And now, the coyote. My sergeant in the army had this advice when it came to killing someone. You have to distance yourself from the situation. If you dwell on the fact that you're killing someone's father, brother, or son, then you'll hesitate. Hesitation can get you or your squad killed. He told me that some snipers would pray, some would cry afterwards, and some said nothing at all. The key was to push those thoughts out of your head. I gathered from his lessons that you had to push all, out all the humanity from the situation. You have a mission, complete the mission. For me, this was easy at first. When you're killing people from hundreds of yards away, there's a disconnect. It's like they're not really people. It's when you take your eyes off the scope that it sinks in. So sure, you can say that you are there altruistically, but blood has a way of washing away one's eager ideology. There came a point where I stopped being able to block out that remorse that was my humanity. I could hear grandfather's voice and remember my time volunteering at the hospital with him. Distinctly, I was drawn back to a conversation I had with him in regards to a patient who was in a coma. That family has come in here every day for the last three years reading him stories and sharing their lives with them, grandfather said as we walked by the patient's room. Why, I asked. He stopped and looked me straight in the eye. I mean, you know, the chances he wakes up out of a coma has to be the same as getting struck by lightning. Why burden yourself with this delayed grief? Would it be better to just say goodbye and let him go to whatever fate has in store for him? Grandfather shook his head. All life is precious, Jeremiah. It is a gift given. My thoughts shift away from my army time. Thoughts and deeds too painful to relive now. 
It was time to partake in one of the few good things that's happened since I touched this damn staff. Calling upon the power and touching the feather on the staff, I transformed and took to flight. I can't really describe what it feels like to fly. Not in a plane, but to truly fly. It's a mix of freedom and excitement. I don't know how I could live a life without flying for this. Being a raven, and in and of itself, is a strange feeling. I could certainly see farther than I normally can. But I get these instincts when I see a mouse scurry by or what have you. Yeah, I can control them, but the urge is always there. I begin my circuit of flying over the city. Most nights I just worry about the lands of our people, the Unalachitigo tribe. It's not a large section of town on the riverfront. It was an area of town where money spoke more than the old religious influence, and thus we were able to purchase an area of our land despite a strong resistance in some social circles in Rainsboro. I cried out a sharp trill. The idea that we had to pay them back for our land is a ridiculous notion. I suppose they're just not going to give it back, though. The tribe decided that in order to get our lands back, purchasing them would work better than pursuing it in court. Our Lenape brethren in Delaware had done that, and they still haven't resolved the issue some 15 years later. It started off with a couple of purchases here and there behind some shell corporations, and by the time that the Rainsboro City Council knew what was happening, we had carved out a couple miles of the waterfront. It was easy enough. The economy was bad at the time, and most people jumped at the market value offers. Not to mention that a lot of people were more than eager to rid themselves of property on the waterfront. I look off my left wing. That was the reason. The island. Our people call it Cocolico, which roughly means snake den. The Walden Island is where they dump all the criminals, both super and not. Something causes supers to lose their powers while on the island. I'm also the toll that works for the airspace above the island. It's run by criminals, and any sort of production from the work crews that they do would earn the group surplus food or items that are dropped off. I'm told that some of them have a fairly extravagant setup and would rather stay inside than to leave. There's a story of some criminals who went in there and beat up on supervillains on the inside that got out and promptly disappeared. Keeping a tab is the phrase on the street for that sort of behavior. I fly over the carnival and watch with intent. The boardwalk is usually a hot spot of problems after dark. Although parents do take their kids here to ride the rides and play the games, less do every year. That means this area is a scene of a lot of drug trafficking and other more sinister activities. It's a hodgepodge of painted clown faces and blow, of pony rides and speed. A sharp scream fills the air, and I narrow in on a figure running, being chased by three people. I dip down to investigate. The runner is a woman dressed in fur and high heels, doing her best to break the four-minute mile. Well, you took a wrong turn, lady, as I, I muse as I look back and see there's three punks with knives chasing. Come on, lady, just give up the purse, fur, and keys to the jag, and you might let you keep everything else, one yelled as he half-heartedly pursued. They were toying with her. Well, two could play that game. I landed up the alley, changing back. I howled at the sky as the woman passed by me, too afraid to stop. The three pursuers stopped. You know what I really hate? I smirk. How much you guys charge for directions around here? What's it to you, Squanto? One of them asked. Just another redskin looking for a high, ain't ya? Picked the wrong party to crash. Oh no, I like this kind of party. I even brought some friends. The wolves came bounding from a side street, a full pack of six. One of them I recognized as one I'd called on before. He's, he's named Boar, and he's a pain to operate with. He looked at me, and I nodded. Whatever it takes, I barked at him, and he opened his jaws in a smile. 
The punks blanched and started to back up. I was about to let loose the pack when a tremendous explosion rocked the air and the ground swayed. Damn it. Guess it's your lucky night, tools. Keep your noses cleaner. Me and my friends will gnaw them off. I shouted as they scrambled back to their feet and ran away. I have to check this out, Boar. I'll leave some stakes at the usual spot out of town. Get your pack to safety. The wolves took off at full speed. I paused for a second, then whistled. I could hear the hooves hit the pavement before I saw them. It's a pretty strange day when you wake up with magic powers. Add that to a horse who is just too damn proud to die, and you have my typical Tuesday night. Spectre ran right out of the building and stopped up before me. His ghostly visage didn't hide his excitement at being let loose. I know, boy, but I can't have you scaring the locals every day. I have to give it to them in small doses, I proclaimed as I pet his mane. To others, he's incorporeal, but to me, he's as solid as a normal horse. Hell, I can even feed him a damn apple if I'm the one to give it to him. Up, I shouted, and the horse took off at a 45-degree angle into the air. I thought about going raven mode, but this might this way I might have the extra few seconds I need to cast if something uh, came up. A large dust cloud rose up from an area of the city close to Little Asia. I guided Spectre in that direction as I scanned the area, trying to figure out what happened. As I got closer, I could see that something had hit the ground, but it was too cloudy to see exactly what. I could hear the sirens and saw one building was leaning. This is what I could do to help. I took Spectre down next to a police barricade. Normally it's a coin flip if they will thank me or try to arrest me, but I knew in this case they had bigger concerns. I dismissed Spectre and tried to assess the situation. Hey, aren't you that coyote guy? One clean-shaven young cop asked. I nodded. I need three of those big trampoline things that you use to catch people out of windows. I need them set up about 200 feet up the street. I also need all the sugar you can find in a big pile here, I pointed at my feet. And I mean a whole lot of sugar. Bags and bags of this stuff. The cops looked at me confused. Do it, I yelled. And that got some of them moving. I reached into my pouch and pulled out a small, segmented statue. I palmed the statue as I began casting. It took about two minutes, but slowly they came. The ground was crawling towards me as I saw them. need all your help. Any two-foot that you find lying down, I need you to bring to this man. I pointed at one of the police. If you do this, I will give you the gift that you revere above all else. I took the packet and ripped it open, throwing it at the mass. Sugar. More sugar you've never seen in one place. More than you can eat in a lifetime. Now go. I pointed toward the epicenter of the blast. The ants moved as one, scattering into each building. I don't get it, the cop said. What, what can a bunch of ants do? An ant can lift 20 times its own body weight. How much can 100 pounds of ants lift? Enough to bring all the sleeping or dead or wounded to you guys. Now where's that fireman's trampoline thing? Here, one of them said, wheeling a few of the contraptions in. I pointed to where I wanted them set up and nodded. As I turned back to the scene, I saw where a fire had started in a couple of buildings. Give me your police walkie, I said, pointing to the man's side. As I grabbed it, I put it into my pouch. If I call for a trampoline, it's for a jump, I said. As I turned and ran down a side alley, turning back into a raven, and took off towards the fire. I read once that the average person spends up to six years of their life in a car, or something like two hours a day. Two hours a day, and we're awake for what? Like, on average, 16 hours a day? So, one-eighth of our day we spend in a car? And I've got a little wreck industrial hybrid car that I never use. 
I wake up 45-ish minutes before class, depending on how many times I need to hit the snooze button, get up, shave, shower, shampoo, shine, shovel some breakfast into my mouth, shift, and get right to class on time. Oh, shifting. Yeah, uh, to make a long story even longer, I was 12, invented a teleportation device, tested it on myself, so now I can kind of teleport at will. It's pretty cool, and it saves me a heck of a lot on gas and time. Uh, The problem with never having to wait for anything, though, is that you get so dang impatient. Sitting through class is almost impossible for me without accidentally shifting to some exotic island where I can sit around drinking free-free drinks and talking to some six-pack abs beach guys. But my boss, we'll get to him in a bit, makes me go, so I go. He says that getting a PhD will help my job prospects in the future because superheroing doesn't pay the bills. So after three hours of boring class, I meet my buddy Manny for lunch. Yeah, Manny Calavera. He's, uh, he's Mexican, so he knows his last name means skull. I guess you could say he's kind of my boyfriend-ish. I mean, we've been friends for like a million years, and we've never kissed or anything. But we pretty much hang out all the time and go to the movies and out to dinner, so maybe he's more of a best friend? I don't know. Not sure if he wants more either. I think he does. Anyway, after lunch, I head over to Rec Industrial, we call it RI, where I work. It's pretty cool because I report directly to the head of the company, Joseph Reck. Joe's a bonafide CEO and superhero. He's got the ability to change objects to gold, which would normally make him rich already, but he's also wicked smart. So he uses his powers to create gold-based technologies that are used in cars, home entertainment systems, weapons, pretty much everything electronic. Oh yeah, including my suit. Plus, it keeps the overhead pretty low. He can buy a big chunk of granite or a bunch of wood, convert it to gold, and he's good on supplies for the rest of the year. When he's not running a Fortune 500 company and being a billionaire, he's also a superhero. I swear the guy never sleeps. Known as the Alchemist. See, he can also turn himself into gold. Sure, it's a brittle metal and all that, but when he's gold and reverts back to his human form, any bullet wounds or dents he has all heal. He hasn't lost any body parts yet, but he figures that he can weld the arm back on, and it'll all work the same way. I'm not so sure. Kind of hoping we don't find out anytime soon. I've got my own lab at RI, where I'm pretty much allowed to work on any whatever pops into my head. And Joe gives me whatever funding and technology I need to make it happen. Right now, I'm working on the project that got me in the position I'm in today, a teleporter. When I was 12 and first used a teleporter on myself, I was left with unstable molecules. I could transport places at will, but it was pretty horrifying. Essentially, I was in two places at the same time. I was where I am, and where I will be simultaneously. It kind of did a number on me mentally. The human mind really isn't built to comprehend being in two places literally at once. Joe had heard about my teleportation experiments, I was in the local paper, and had come to meet me the day it all happened to look into having the technology and uh, buying it and giving me some kind of internship. What he found instead was a girl who was in two places at the same time, all the time, and I was pretty much a mess. But he's a smart guy. It didn't take him long to figure out a way to help me. He built me a suit that uses gold-based magnetic fibers to keep me in a solid state. Not only that, it's got buttons built into the wrist that, when I tap them with my fingers, vent the suit and allow me to teleport. Basically, the dang thing is skin-tight and a little sexier than I'd normally wear, but pressing the buttons demagnetizes it and my molecules go unstable again. Yeah, and he invented this thing in less than a week. Problem is, I've got to wear it a lot. Without my suit, if my mind wanders, I teleport. If I think I want to be doing something else, I teleport. If I fall asleep, I teleport. So Joe makes me practice meditation and yoga during my lab break times. It helps. 
basically the point is to make it so that I can calm my thoughts and not wander so much where I'm doing stuff. Uh, so I can do basic things like, you know, shower, go to the beach, which I never do anyway. Stuff like that without accidentally teleporting. But it's kind of weird that it takes so much effort to calm your mind. I pretty much have to wear the suit under my clothes most other times, so I kind of have to wear baggy-ish clothing in order to hide it. So a typical workday for me involves checking in with Joe, though he wasn't in his office today, and working in my lab with sporadic meditation in between. Joe calls them my naps. Most days I get interrupted to help Joe out with some superheroing. I know that's not a word, but crime fighting just sounds kind of, I don't know, old school to me. I've been out a couple times alone, sometimes acting as a bodyguard for foreign diplomats that he's meeting or something, but typically he comes with me. To protect my identity, I wear a domino mask and call myself Hair Trigger. Sounded fun to me when I thought of it. Joe insisted I carry some kind of protection, so I insisted back that it would be a pair of six-shooters that I keep slung around my waist on a cowboy belt. Even though my folks know I'm out there doing the hero thing, I keep my six-shooters back at the lab. I don't think my folks would be terribly comfortable with guns in the house, and it's just a quick shift back to the lab to pick them up whenever I need to do anything. Most of the time, I leave from the lab directly anyway. Anyway, I'm uh, a little daydreamy today, staring at the poster of Nikola Tesla I have up in my lab and not getting much work done on the teleporter. It sounds kind of bad to say that I'm hoping for a bank robbery, but maybe it'll be okay as long no one gets hurt. Uh, You know, except the bad guys, of course. I've never seen Joe lose his cool, even in the middle of a battle with some super baddie. He walks in now, calm and casual, eating an apple, and leans against the desk next to me, then nonchalantly tosses a printout of a satellite image onto my desk. "'How's it going?' he asks. "'Good,' I respond. "'What's up?' "'Well, someone's trying to rob me,' he tells me, calm as can be. "'There's been a break-in at one of my weapons storage facilities in the waterfront district. Could Could be punk kids, could be beast soldiers.' Well, all of those facilities are pretty well guarded, aren't they? I ask. Yep, so probably the latter, really, he he responds. So, we going to check it out? He takes a bite from his apple. Nope, you are. He points at me, mouth full while he talks. I've got a thing. A thing? There's something going on across town with Partisan. He probably doesn't need my help, but I'm going to go check it out due to crowd control, that kind of thing. Partisan. The city's big-name hero. Super strong, super buff, super nice, kind of one of those all-around perfect types. He's been protecting the world from supercrime for years now, but he calls Rainsboro his home. I know he and Joe have teamed up a lot. They're pretty close, but I'm still not sure how Joe feels about not knowing his secret identity, or even if he knows his secret identity. So, you're missing out on someone who's robbing one of your facilities to handle something that may not need you anyway? I ask. Yep. So I need you to take care of it. Chop, chop. He smiles at me and takes another bite of his apple before eyeing it like some big science experiment idea popped into his head and walking out. He's always casual, but he's kind of too casual right now. I think he's hiding something. Good luck, he yells from down the hallway. I hop out of my seat and slip off my regular clothes, leave on the shift suit, then slip on my six-shooters. Shifting only comes naturally when I've been to or can see the place I'm shifting to. Then it's really, to use a cliche, as easy as breathing. But if I'm unfamiliar with the place, I need a point of reference so I can kind of guide there in my mind. I can't shift to a pyramid in Egypt, for example, because I've never really been there. But if I took a plane to Egypt and understood where it was in relation to where I was, sure, I could probably do it. 
I check out the map Joe sent me, and knowing how my powers work, he's printed out the directions from our current location so I can guide there in my mind. From the satellite imagery, I can see a cargo ship docked within viewing distance, so I decide to shift to it, figuring it's a safe distance away. I press the buttons on my wrist. The silence of my lab is instantly replaced with a flash of bright light like a camera flash, and then a cool ocean breeze and birds chirping above. I've actually never known what that flash of light is when I shift. Theoretically, it doesn't make any sense. If my molecules are dispersing in one location and relocating in the same form in another location, then there's really no reason I should see any light. It should really just shift from one location to the other, but for some reason I see the light. One day I'll figure out what it is. Anyway, have to focus on the moment. I duck behind the cover of some boxes along the guardrail and peek out towards the dockside storage facility. It looks a little inconspicuous from the outside, just a normal wooded building like the rest along the dock. Inside, I know it's outfitted with the latest in state-of-the-art technology and security and filled with the types of weaponry that any terrorist group would love to have, which makes it a little disconcerting when I notice the front door is wide open, just flapping in the breeze. I don't see any guards or any sign of struggle, so I shift next to the open entrance. It's only when I'm this close that I notice the pool of blood starting to flow from the open doorway. I lean around the corner and look in. The security system has been disabled and destroyed. Whoever did this didn't have time for subtlety. Security guards lay strewn across across the floor, riddled with bullet holes. It's all I have not to throw up. Fresh dead bodies don't stink like you see in the movies. But blood... It kind of fills the air with this sickening metal smell. It's not something I've gotten used to, nor is it something I really want to. I take one of my six-shooters from its holster on my belt and head in. The opening hallway is dark, intentionally so. At first glance, if a passerby were to look into the open door, you'd just see a long wooden hallway, inconspicuous. But about halfway down the hallway is a hidden touchpad that opens up an elevator to lead you into the actual place where the weapons are stored. Of course, everything's been blown to hell now. The elevator door is torn open, the metal doors looking like they were peeled out. Whoever did this was damn strong. Great. I look down the elevator shaft and see the elevator down below. It's either too far down to hear any noise, or the fight's already over and everyone's dead down there. I shift down to the top of the elevator and lean down to hear if anyone's in it. it sounds pretty quiet, so I open the maintenance door and slide in as quietly as I can. The elevator doors are open, and I can see beast soldiers carrying boxes towards it. Towards me. I quickly get my bearings on the layout of the land and shift behind a nearby crate before they can see me. I shift again to the top of the crate and duck down, still out of sight. I count six six soldiers, and nobody with the type of strength to tear open the door like I saw above. The storage facility is huge. Not sure how anybody finds anything in a place this size. It's like the Walmart of super-powered weapon stuff. I take my cell phone out and snap photos of the boxes they're stealing. The numbers on them read 32372A, 32372B, 32372X. I send them to Joe, want to know what I'm dealing with before I jump in. It takes them only a couple of seconds to respond through the Rectech earbud I'm wearing. Do not let them leave with those boxes, he yells, loud enough that the beast soldiers can overhear. A bullet whizzes by so close that it sounds like a bug flying in my ear. I shift back behind the crate. Guess that means importante. I grab my other six-shooter guess the need to be stealthy is kind of moot at this point. I shift behind one of the soldiers. They're still firing blindly at the top of the crate where I was before, and I kick him in the back of his knee. He doesn't buckle, but swerves around and swings his gun like a bat, knocking me off my feet. Ouch. These guys are strong. Robots? I take the risk and shoot one in the arm before shifting to safety. The bullet bounces off without so much as leaving a dent. Damn it. Good thing about robots is that you can destroy them. Bad thing? They're usually indestructible. 
or at least impervious to little things like bullets. It's times like this I wish I wasn't such a history buff and would let Joe just make me some damn super guns or something. Then it occurs to me. Duh. Weapon storage facility. I tap the communicator on my earbud. Robots. Need guns. One of the beast soldiers runs around the corner of the crate and throws a punch at me. I duck under it and he dents the side of the metal crate. Hmm, that explains the elevator doors. I shift behind him and jab the handle of one of the guns on the back of his neck. He twitches for a second like I'd hit something important before recoiling and swinging with the, ba- the back of his hand towards me. I shift away and end up in the middle of a flurry of bullets. I shift again behind cover. Whew, gotta be more careful. Sucky thing about robots? They don't wait for witty banter before they start shooting. Still no words from Joe, so I tap the button on my communicator again. Joe! I start firing back, hoping to hit something important by happenstance. No luck. My earbud beeps. Sorry. Busy. 54637. I take a look at the numbers of the crate I'm leaned up against. 40010. I'm hoping someone as anal as Joe thinks the same way I do and has these things in some kind of numerical order. It takes me half a second to realize the lights have gone dim before I realize they're being blocked out by a string of boxes being tossed at me. Stupid super strong robots. I shift away just in time, closer to where I think the box is. 53000. Getting closer. Shift again and end up right next to the right crate. The robots have picked up on the fact that I'm either super fast or a teleporter. They're running up and down the aisles looking for me instead of just trying to escape with the stuff they're stealing. They're either stupid robots or they've been programmed to leave no witnesses. Beast doesn't like to leave a lot of evidence. The crate has an eye reader. I look around to make sure no one's heading my way, then let it scan me. It opens up and I get inside. Closing the door behind me as quietly as I can and tucking my six shooters back into their holsters. Inside, a small light flickers to life. In the middle of this large-ass crate is a small, black titanium box, no bigger than a shoebox. I lift it. It's heavier than it looks, and I slide off the top. There's a small, black handgun inside with the words, Black Bullet, engraved on the side of it. There's no safety or hammer that I can see. I guess it's just point-and-click? I fall to the ground as the crate around me shifts. They found me. The robots start pounding at the sides of the crate, denting it further and further with each hit. I can hear one of the top, one on the top of the crate beating down on it. His fist smashes through the metal and he peels it open, like opening a gift at Christmas. I point the gun at him and hope it does something. I pull the trigger. There's no recoil, not even much of a sound. The gun whispers as something shoots from the barrel, and next thing I know, there's a hole the size of an apple that explodes through the robot's face. Whoa! I yell out. Times like this, where cool stuff goes kablooey, I really wish I, really wish I was in the middle of a team-up. I shift behind one of the robots on the outside of the crate and shoot the black bullet at him. His torso disintegrates into shiny metal snow. Oh my god, I love this gun. I'll take two. Of course, rather than admiring the, the black beauty, I probably should have been paying attention. Something hits me on my side and suddenly I'm flying through the air, hitting the ground and sliding across like I'm trying to sweep the place with my suit. I smack into the middle of a stack of boxes, and my vision is all blurry. I fire blindly at something I think is a robot, but miss horribly. My vision clears up just in time to see that it is a robot, and it's running at me like it's in a race. I shift at the last second, and it goes plowing through the stack of boxes. They come falling down on top of it. From behind, another one of the robots grabs me and lifts me off off the ground in a bear hug. It hurts, but I shift out of its grasp and to its side, and then I shoot, taking off its head. I turn around just as a robot walks up in front of me. Instinctively, I pull the trigger, taking off one of its arms. It looks down at the arm, and I use the moment's pause to shoot again, splitting the robot in half, oil and little robot pieces flying all over the place. I grab up my side. 
It hurts. The suit Joe built me has some built-in force resistance, but a kick from a robot still ends up hurting like hell. A shuffling behind me startles me, and I realize the last robot is making its way out of the toppled stack of boxes. As I see its head poking through, I aim Black Bullet and pull the trigger. Nothing happens. I try again. Same thing. Six bullets? What kind of a gun only carries six bullets? Oh, yeah. Need to think of something fast. See, when I'm caught off guard, I kind of get that deer-in-the-headlights thing where I freeze up and I don't know what to do. But if you give me a second to think, I come up with pretty good ideas. I shift so that I'm sitting on top of the robot's shoulders, and before it reacts, I shift both of us to the top of the empty elevator shaft and let him drop. Adios! I'm falling too, but I shift myself quickly so that I'm back on solid ground in the hallway above. I look down into the shaft just in time to see the robot shatter as it hits the top of the elevator car, its back snapping in half. I take a moment to catch my breath. Shifting myself is easy, but trying to shift another being, especially something as heavy as a machine, ugh, takes the wind out of me. I look at Black Bullet in my hand and decide to return it to its crate. Modern stuff is cool, but I love my little six-shooters. Call me old-fashioned. I call in a cleanup crew. I'm not cleaning up this mess. Less guys than usual show up. They say there was some big stuff going on across town, and most of them are there helping with damages, but they don't know much more than that. I shift back to the lab, and I feel like someone ladled me with pain sauce. I plop down in my chair and just enjoy the quiet. Ugh, long day. Suddenly, Joe comes bursting through the door, covered in blood, and collapses to the floor. I run over to him. There's so much blood, but I don't see any wounds. Are you okay? I manage to shout out, panicked. It's not my blood. It's partisans. He's he's crying. I've never seen Joe upset, much less crying. What happened? Is he okay? He takes a deep breath of air, as if unsure what to say. He turns away and looks down at the blood on his hands. He's dead. So you know how people always ask you where you were when the big world-changing events happen? I'd love to say that I was saving people or rushing to the rescue when the greatest hero Rainsboro has ever known died. No, I wasn't doing anything particularly heroic when it went down. I was in a porta potty wondering why the ground was shaking. I think I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself, though, so let's start at the beginning. I heard a knocking on my front door as I pulled the mask over my face. My landlord was on the other side of the door yelling his usual tirade about kicking me out of the apartment. I was only two months late on the rent at that time, so I knew I had another month before he'd actually get serious about it. All the same, I didn't want to talk to him, and I had somewhere else to be anyway. So I took the noble tactic and I climbed out my window. I know what you're thinking. What kind of big-time hero runs from a simple landlord? This guy, that's who. Besides, he yells really loudly. So, I bounced my way around the city on my way to work. The gig was only going to pay about 50 bucks, which wouldn't help much with the rent, but it would let me eat for another few weeks. It's the little things sometimes that keep you going. Despite the glorious retreat from my landlord, I wasn't really thinking about the money at that point. I never do when the mask is on and I'm moving. It's a strange kind of high, jumping from rooftops to rooftops, bouncing off buildings. It just makes you feel good, and everything else seems to slip away. I don't know how everyone out there that can't do it makes it through the day, to be honest. 
Through the glow of the bouncing, though, I managed to remember that I was actually going somewhere. I checked my watch, and I was doing five minutes, which it was possible if I hurried. So hurry, I did. And you know what? For once, there wasn't a single mugging or a burglary to distract me. I actually made good time. Leapt over the last building and went into a spin and landed flawlessly right in the middle of the yard where Timmy's 13th birthday party was being held. It was a perfect landing. I mean, I nailed it. I just couldn't wait for that applause. And With an entrance like that, how could it not be the easiest $50 I'd ever made? Well, this snot-nosed little brat who was having a birthday party answered that question for me. Dad, that's not partisan. I want partisan for my birthday party. I don't even know who this guy is. So at least the father would come to my rescue, right? Sorry, Timmy, I did try, really. This guy was the only one that didn't have enough self-respect to not do birthday parties. Hey, come on, guys. I'm standing right here. So I figured I'd give him a show. I mean, I'm not above performing for my dinner. Let's face it, I'm not above pretty much anything, really. I jumped forward, spinning around a stop sign just fast enough to propel myself against the neighbor's house, and then I launched myself back into their yard with yet another perfect landing. There now, could Partisan do that? No, only the rebounding ricochet could pull off a move like that. Partisan doesn't have to. He can fly. And I think you cracked our neighbor's siding with that move. (sighs) Well, at least the little demon's father paid me. So that was my morning the day it happened. I took my $50 cash and away I went. I always require payment as cash. Do you have any idea how hard it is to cash a check when you can't show a form of ID? Yeah, I learned that one the hard way. So the cash was tucked away in the nice little zipper compartment on the side of my costume, and I bounced randomly through the city, hoping to find something to hit. I was really hoping to find something to hit at that point. I, of course, was singing my theme song that I've written just for myself the whole time. And no, I won't sing it now. Despite what the kid's father said, I do have a little self-respect. I only sing that around people if someone's paying me. My random bouncing brought me to a construction site downtown. Right about then, a little problem I don't like to talk about kicked in. See, I got my powers from taking a lot of experimental drugs at the same time. I kind of needed the money. As cool as that sounds, though, there are some occasional side effects. As I performed yet another perfectly executed somersault, I felt a very telling pain in my stomach. I knew that I just had to get to a bathroom. You can't take chances when you wear skin-tight spandex. So I went straight for the Johnny on the spot. I'll spare you the gory details of the next 45 minutes. Trust me, it was not, not pretty. Almost the whole time, though, I felt the ground shaking. We don't exactly get a lot of earthquakes in Rainsboro, so I'll admit at first I thought it was just someone outside the porta potty trying to turn it over. Again. Then I started to wonder, if this really was an earthquake and my building collapsed, would I still have to pay the back rent? By the time I got out, though, the shaking had stopped. I looked around and the area was in complete ruins. There was a trail of buildings collapsed, and even those that were still standing had broken windows. I could see fires through some of those windows. 
yeah, I admit it, big time hero that I was, my first thought was, where's Partisan? As I leapt into the rubble looking for what had caused all this destruction. After a few minutes, I found it. There at the end of the trail was Partisan himself, lying on the ground, bloody and broken. His arm was twisted at an angle that shouldn't be possible, and I could see bones sticking out of his leg. I quickly bounced around the surrounding buildings looking for what could have possibly done that to him. I'd like to say I was just being heroic and I wanted to make sure that whoever had done it had been stopped, but really, I was scared. Partisan was way out of my league, and anyone that could take him down wouldn't break a sweat doing it to me. The rest of the day is kind of a blur. I mean, I know I dug through the rubble and braved the fires to rescue people, but I don't remember it. At one point, someone stuck a mic in my face and asked me how I felt about Partisan's death. I think it was the first time I've ever been speechless when offered free publicity. I do remember the face of one sad little girl whose favorite teddy bear had burnt to cinders. I spent my $50 buying her the biggest stuffed animal I could find. I know it didn't make up for all her pain and loss. It didn't make up for her apartment that burnt down. But it did make that one little girl smile, if only for a minute. Maybe I could have helped Partisan if I hadn't been in a porta potty at the time while he was out there sacrificing his life to save our city. If I were out there, though, let's face it, I probably would have just died with him. And in the end, I know that I helped that day in the ways I could. That's going to have to be enough because Partisan's gone and the rest of us are just going to have to step up to fill that void. Good evening, Rainsboro. Dennis Dane here at the Action 5 News Live News Desk in high definition. We've been tracking the ongoing battle between Partisan and an unidentified assailant in Knightsbridge. On your screen now is the fire at City Place. Fire officials tell us the tower is a complete loss, that their strategy now is to contain the blaze to preserve neighboring buildings. Further challenging their efforts, water mains have burst throughout Knightsbridge. Rainsboro PD spokesman... Excuse me. What? Oh my God. We we have confirmed reports that Partisan is dead. Partisan is dead. Knights of Rainsboro is a production of IdeologyofMadness.com. Intro music generously provided by Derek K. Miller. For more information about Derek and his music, visit penmachine.com. Outro music is provided courtesy of Dan Kelso. You can find these and other great pod-safe tunes at musicalley.com. All goat sex involved in the production of this podcast was purely consensual. 